0: Campfire Conversation Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Kelly. Ask almost anybody who's been to summer camp, whether they be kids or staff members, and they'll tell you it is awesome. They will also tell you through their words, but mostly through their actions, that they learn a ton while there, too. As a longtime camp director, youth sport coach, and father to three growing young men, I know the lessons that we learn at camp can be hugely beneficial for all of us back home in the real world. So, Each week, I'll spend some time around the digital campfire talking with professionals from inside and around the summer camp world. We'll share their lessons, their ideas, and their practices in a way that I hope will be immediately useful for your life back home. So pull up a seat, get your marshmallow ready to roast, and let's spend some time learning together around the campfire. If nothing else, camp is playful. It doesn't matter if you are a six-week sleepaway camp or a week-long day camp. Kids show up to have fun and to play. Out in the other world, away from camp, play often takes a backseat to schoolwork and after school programs and tutoring and chores and whatnot. As we grow, the role of play continues to diminish for the, the vast majority of us, and that's to our great detriment. When thinking about how playing more back home could help us, I thought immediately of tonight's guests at the campfire. After learning from his playful presentations and fantastic books over the past two decades, I knew Michael Brandwine could help shed some really great light on the benefits of play. For those of you who don't know him already, Michael Brandwine has a truly international reputation as an expert in education and youth development. He is presented in every one of the 50 states in the U.S. and on six of the seven continents. I'm sure the penguins in Antarctica will look forward to hearing from him soon. Michael presents workshops for teachers, youth leaders, and parents and others. He has written six best-selling books on leading and training adults to work with young people, including Skill of the Day, What Great Leaders of Young People Do and Say, and his latest bestseller, Growing Great Qualities in Kids. Michael's also written and presented three Emmy Award-winning television programs on developing great young people that have been broadcast on PBS stations throughout the U.S., he served on the National Board of Directors of the American Camp Association, got his J.D. degree from the University of Chicago, where he also now lives uh, with his wife Donna, and their two sons who are both educators. I'm sure that after you've learned some from Michael tonight that you'll actually want to continue learning. And the best way to find him is at his website, Michael Brandwine. that's spelled B-R-A-N-D-W-E-I-N.com. I hope you'll enjoy this great campfire conversation about play with my friend Michael Brandwine. Michael Brandwine, I am so happy to have you around the campfire. Thank you, Carl. This is going to be fun. So I have spent. Let's see, I've been in camping eighteen years. I've probably gone to fifteen or sixteen, either national conferences or regional conferences for for summer camp, and whenever you're on the list. I go to see you and I, I go to listen along with a sea of other people in camping. Um, but I have to tell you that I, I still use actually a number of things that you have taught me throughout the years with our staff that you've trained our staff and they don't even know it. Uh, but, <laughs> but has
1: been doing they don't that. know who to blame is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, that's the best compliment ever get, really, um, uh, when somebody says we're using the things that we learned, because that's the only real reason to, uh, to present it. Uh, to me, the usability of it is the only thing that counts. So I'm delighted to hear that.
0: Um, so one of the things, Michael, that I, I love about your work and when you, you present is that you're, you're so playful, and at the same time, you're also so thoughtful in the whole process, um, and, and I find that that's the combination that really helps people connect most to the learning process. Do you find that as well?
1: Well, when people are having fun, I think they are more likely to learn more because uh, they're able to focus and uh, feel more safe. Safe is, is really important, and it's a byproduct of fun. In other words, if you're you're sitting there nervous that, uh, of, or your relationship with the person that you're learning from isn't a positive one. Um, if it's not open, if it's not warm, uh, I think people learn less. Anxiety usually gets in the way of learning. So one of the ways to combat that is uh, through fun. The other thing is, you know, of course, we are all, I'm at the front of that list, you know, we get naturally defensive sometimes uh, oh, you know, we want to say, oh, I already know this, or, you know, or Cole's telling me something, but I already know this, you know, I already know everything about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way to cut through that kind of uh, defensiveness is to make people feel more comfortable. And when we uh, uh, are playing and actively engage, that's one way to do it. The other reason is um, because a is usually a product of active um, engagement. In Mm -hmm. other words, uh, uh, practicing the things that are being taught. So I like to get people up, moving around, and immediately practicing and talking to each other about what we're learning, which is exactly the way we train staff to work with kids. Um, And it's a model of how we want them to turn around after we've trained them and work with kids. Uh, That, to me, is always the greatest challenge. I, I actually have a name for it. In my very first book, I called it the PDP which is uh, my pass down principle. The way we teach people, say for example, if you do a staff training for teachers or camp counselors or before and after school leaders or um, uh, any other kind of youth leaders, the way we teach them becomes a model they're gonna turn around when the kids come and relate to them. So Mm -hmm. if we're fun and we're creative in our presentation and we're engaging, then uh, it is much more likely that they will turn around and be able to use the way we taught them, that is the adults, and use those techniques and uh, that approach when working with kids.
0: Oh, that's huge. It's, it's so important to model all the way across the, the different levels of camp, if you will, so it gets to the, the important ones, you know, the kids, so that they can then hopefully learn and, and then become staff members themselves.
1: Yes, uh, sir. Yeah, how how did, absolutely, yeah.
0: You've had a really interesting uh, number of different <laughs> roles and different interests over time. How did camp start for you?
1: Magic. Yeah, uh, uh, it's a really it's a great story <laughs> Glad you asked um, uh, dad is uh, 94 he'll be 95 in June wow. uh, um, uh, mom sadly passed away a year ago but both mom and dad uh, figure very much into this dad uh, knew nothing about doing magic tricks but he worked in Cub Scouts he was one of the leaders and I was a Cub Scout and uh, he put on show because they didn't have any other entertainment. And I guess they were cheap and they didn't hire anybody. So he went to a magic shop. He learned a bunch of tricks. Uh, My dad is a master improviser. He was a furniture salesman. He knew nothing about this. And he pulled off a great 30, 40 minute show. It was great. And uh, then he put all the props as far as he's done with his career in magic. He puts them in some paper shopping bags, Local grocery store, and he puts them up in the attic of our house. And that summer, I uh, was just exploring. I was playing. (laughs) It was unstructured play. And I found in some of these uh, big brown grocery bags the props that he'd used. And I was delighted to. They came with instructions, and I liked reading, so I had the instructions, and I played with the props, and I decided, I was about 10 years old, and I decided, I want to learn how to be a magician, too. So they took me to the library, we took out magic books, et cetera, um, and so I got started working with kids, because when you are a terrible 10-year-old magician, <laughs> the only people you can perform for a are either kids senior citizens in nursing homes, um, uh, which I did, uh, or little kids who are younger and less sophisticated than you are and don't know any better. They don't know that you're bad. So um, uh, I started to perform for local kids. And when I got to be around 12, 13, I actually had a little part-time business. I was doing magician uh, shows for uh, birthday parties. Um, I would charge, I don't know, it was $3. $5. And then I got an extra dollar and a half if I made balloon animals, which I'd learned to do too. And so, you know, I had a thriving entrepreneurial business here. And so the the story wraps up. I'm now 13. And what I've discovered is the magic tricks I can learn by myself in my bedroom in front of the mirror. I can practice it for hours, but how to work in front of kids. No, Mm -hmm. um, uh, those aren't in the books. So mom, who was trained as a school teacher and was at the time a substitute teacher, mom, bless her heart, said, you know, if you want to get good working with kids, you need to uh, work with people who are, and you need to study them and watch what they do. And she found out that there was a volunteer program uh, in Chicago where we were living, in the Chicago area, uh, for poor kids who couldn't afford camp. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was their last volunteer. They signed me up last, and um, I was a North American youngest and least qualified day camp counselor <laughs> at age 13. I had these, uh, sometimes rough and tough kids. Um, and, um, I was learning how to be a leader and I was, uh, uh, expertly ineffective. The second day of camp, <laughs> I would tell people I was beaten up and, uh, went face first down into the parking. By one of my campers, um, oh, uh, uh, it was yeah, it was appalling, and uh, it really motivated me uh, from my embarrassment. Um, I remember crying into the into the gravel at my f- face, my tears uh, mixing with the with the gravel that 's such a vivid image oh, for gosh. me but but it 's this visceral thing called, And i said i 'm going to learn how to do this, and so that was the drive, and Mom was absolutely right, so I was surrounded by some people who were great with kids and like my dad uh, and mom and some who you know uh, were uh, less exciting and, and uh, less engaged and I saw good examples. I saw I could you know, uh, 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 be better examples and that's when I started working at camps and I did it each summer thereafter. I started getting paid to do it. I worked at a number of different camps um, and uh, then when I got to college I got directed a before and after school program with volunteers and was continuing to work at camps in the summer and the story goes on from there but we come circle to magic um, mm-hmm. which I always love to tell people the beauty of the story i'm sorry for going on and on in here but, it. but the, the beauty of magic cole is that when we look at a magician we know there's a secret right mm-hmm. in other words if i make a handkerchief disappear you take a card you sign it and it ends up you know in, in my shoe you know that i'm not really a wizard this is not a real harry potter stuff or Hermione granger stuff this is this is a trick it's sleight of hand Um, uh, And you're right. But unfortunately, when we look at building really great kids and teaching kids, you know, how to be respectful and responsible and how to teach them how to be patient and persistent and creative, we we often we look at that as magic. You know, either it happens or it doesn't or either we're lucky or we don't or this kid is pre-programmed to. This and there's not anything I can do about it. And that's really sad because parents and teachers and youth leaders of all kinds can definitely, starting when kids are toddlers and even earlier as babies, have dramatic effects on kids uh, in building the kind of qualities in them that we know will help them be successful. And uh, that's not magic. That's uh, knowing the, uh, the skills. The nice thing about play is uh, this is one of uh, the most fun ways to do it through play. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and then let, let's skip right into it because, you know, like I said, I've got a shelf full, full of your books here at the camp office, but you've got a new book coming out um, titled Growing Great Qualities in Kids. And when I reached out to you about the idea of, of talking about play and how it's playful at camp and how we how can we bring that playful nature and, and whatnot back home, this was a perfect dovetail. So, so how does play work in to building great qualities in kids?
1: Wow, Well, um, uh, let's uh, nominate for an award the world's best uh, uh, and worst metaphor. Okay. Um, uh, uh, and, and for people who have English class training, they'd say, no, 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 it's a simile, but please tell those people to stay away. <laughs> um, uh, I have, I've written six books, and I've never needed to know which was a simile and which was a metaphor. Um, basically, a picture that represents something abstract, right? So he was mm-hmm. so furious, it was like a, a raging, River. Okay, so that's a, uh, that's a simile or a metaphor. Um, the best metaphor for anyone who works with kids about a kid's brain, I think, is that the brain is a muscle or right. like a muscle. Yep. And the reason I said we should award it, uh, uh, we should give it an award, is because it's totally inaccurate. Um, uh, because uh, a brain is not a muscle. So uh, it's, it's literally not true, um, but if you, under, if you look at uh, all of our brains as like muscles, you know everything you need to know, and you don't need to be a neurobiologist, you don't need to be a neurologist, I'm not, uh, but you know everything you need to know in order to develop kids' brains, um, uh, especially through play. It's really all you need to know, because we have our muscles of ourselves, and we know what happens with your muscles. Um uh you can start with the you know the premise lose it or lose it if you if you don't get up out of your chair. And sadly, that happens to, people, happens to people who are infirm or have illness. Um, uh, then, of course, their muscles atrophy and they're not as strong as they can. Uh, but go past that. We know that if you do things that develop strong biceps and triceps, that it helps you lift things and helps you do other things that you would like to uh, reach your goals. If you have strong legs from hiking or just walking or bicycling, we know that that will help you uh, when you're on vacation and you want to walk around a museum or when you want to just walk through the woods or take a walk with your children or your friends, Um, we know that these things happen to our muscles. So the brain is a muscle, but the one principle that people um, uh, understand very easily is that um, uh, how we use it Affects what we can use it for. Um, so the way the way we you know the, the way kids use their brain uh, changes their brain physically and makes it uh, usable for success.
0: Got it. So it literally, um, you're rewiring or at least pre-programming your brain, regardless of what you're doing. You're you're training your brain in that way.
1: Yeah. Well, if you want. If <laughs> if you're in a situation where you have to talk to people and you want to move, you're smart and be the life of the party, then, then what you do is you throw, in, uh, you, you throw in little bits of knowledge like this. I mean, it's what I do. Um, uh, it's the only chance I have at being the life of um, the uh It used to be, I, I find this fascinating, but it, it used to be years ago, Cole, that they thought that the number of neurons, those are the things that you know fire up in our brain that, that make us this. Et cetera, right? That the number of neurons means, you know, you're smart. So call smarter than Michael and you've got, you know, twice as many neurons as I do. But the microscopes and other devices that they had to look at the brain could only see neurons. That's all they were able to see. So, of course, that's what they were counting. And then a really cool thing happened years ago. They developed uh, better scanning microscopes, and what they were starting to look at were the connections between the neurons. Okay. And what they found out was that the best way to develop, you know, a kid's brain, and this starts, you know, when they're babies, is to um, nourish the development of more connections. In some brains, uh, this is way oversimplified, but it, as much as I can understand, you've got, like, say, an a neutron on the left side and a b on the right, and there's just, you know, like maybe two lane highway between the two of them. Mm-hmm. But if there were on and off-ramps, and there were all these different, uh, you know, compl- more complex ways of getting from A to B, B to A, you can understand you could accommodate a larger flow of traffic. Right. So if I'm a parent, um, um, uh, if I'm a teacher, if I'm a youth leader, what I want to do is help develop those connections. And um, scientists study this for a living. Uh, the kids are no use whatsoever because the kids won't <laughs> let us unzip their head and reach inside, scoop out their and study um, because for some reason they won't do that. Rats will and so rats figure a lot in this kind of research about the effect of play um, uh, but the kids unfortunately are uncooperative with regard to that um, the uh, uh, The real uh, uh, plus you can't have, you can't have a control group. You, can't, you no. can't, I can't, I can't go up to your campus and say you, the third of you, come here. Yeah. Okay. You're not going to play the next 10 years. It's for science. <laughs> Stop complaining. Okay. And then you'll be the control group. These kids can play all they want and then we'll scoop out their brains and see whether there's any difference. <laughs> um, the main things for parents to know, uh, if, uh, and I'm asked this all the time, uh, Main thing for teachers and youth leaders to know is, number one, the brain physically changes and it doesn't stop. The the word at parties you use uh, is plastic. Oh, our brains are plastic, which sounds really weird. But that's what the scientists mean, uh, flexible, and it's constantly changing, um, uh, constantly uh, uh, evolving. And um, so what that means is your kid's uh, intelligence is not fixed at birth. They used to think that, not that many years ago. Um, You can change the physical structure of a brain. Um, uh, The other thing that um, uh, is very important to know is that... um, You can build these connections that I just got excited about by giving kids experiences where they can, you know, exercise uh, various brain muscles or, or the brain muscle. Uh, that's what uh, that's what play does. And so w- what I've done, uh, I think that the last book I wrote is is the most important work of my life. I've been working on this for 40 years. It took me long enough to to write the book, but it intimidated me to do it because it's, it really is my, my life's work. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's teaching people two things, to be more specific about our expectations and what we mean when we say we want great qualities in kids. And then second, to be more specific in communicating about it. So what I like to do is work backwards Um, I love starting at the end and what I say is what do we want or what I ask is what do we want our kids to be what kind of what kind of changes do we want to make in their brain what kind of qualities do we want to have Um, we uh, know for example that uh, we want kids to be good at uh, communicating their feelings uh, creativity persistence uh, patience um, uh, to be leaders, uh, to learn how to solve problems, to negotiate and cooperate constructively with other people, so on and so on and so on. We have a long list of things we want. And so you don't need to be a brain scientist to watch kids play and remember uh, you know, you play yourself or did years ago. Um, and then they ask, so how can we use these things to exercise those kinds of muscles? Uh, and then it's really pretty easy. So, for example, if I have a child in front of a video game, That's not bad, but they're just interacting with a screen. Right. Um, if you have two kids playing a video game together and they have to be partners in order to defeat the evil dragon, uh, now you've got some practice in negotiating and in communicating. And if partner number one, if uh, this boy uh, does something and the girl you know, says you're an idiot and then the boy refuses to play, what we're learning is that if you call people names, it's not a good way to get them to try something different the way you want them to do it. <laughs> and so there's different kinds of play that exercise different kind of muscles like if you went to a gym or to a fitness center.
0: Absolutely. It's interesting thinking about that, watching my boys play Fortnite or some other game. We give them a little bit of time on the weekends to to enjoy it with their friends, but they get online and you can hear them yelling and screaming and laughing uh, throughout the night. And that's not something that my brother or I ever really had with our old school Nintendo. So in some ways, technology is making the video game experience more playful and therefore more Uh, useful in the long term.
1: Well, it it can be. And the most uh, interesting thing that's happened, I'd say, in the last 12 months about this is that, and this is the way the world works always, it comes full circle. So after, you know, years of saying, oh, my goodness. Video games rot my kids' brains. Um, uh, Then a bunch of people came came out and said, uh, you know, there really isn't evidence uh, that's uh, that strong about the negative effects of it. Um, uh, Actually, there's a lot of good things that people have by uh, engaging in social media and playing video games and things like that. The answer, as always, Cole, is they're both right. Right. Um, yes. uh, uh, there are some good things. I mean, for example, um, a child who tries to get to level three when they're at level two in a game, uh, may play that game 50 times and, and keep, you know, crashing or dying or, you know, uh, uh, uh lose life or something like that. That's a charming thing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, this is persistence. This is trying again, over and over again. And uh, I think that that's something that both of my boys in the early versions of these games, because they're adult young men now, but uh, they learn some of their persistence by doing those kind of games. Of course, I will quickly add that I tried to play those games with them a lot. I was there sitting with them and we talked about, well, we could quit. I remember one of my sons said, You can go online and there's cheating codes and I'd say, Well, you know, um, we can, you know, let's talk about that. And, you know, what would we get if we did it? Well then we get to see, you know, Darth Vader, you know, because he's on level three, not level two. And then so we would be able to talk about it. I wasn't just leaving them by themselves. I could ask some questions to help guide them. And, you know, I'm proud of them. They said, well, we could try one more time. And I said, yes, we could. And, you know, what could we do differently this time than we did last time? So all of that it builds really great muscles. So all of that is, uh, is, is really good. Um, uh, the problem with the screen time, which, if you know, there's people who study that full-time to American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, uh, other places like that, and, you know, say that there's more and more time in front of screens. Uh, this can be a concern. Uh, a lot of studies, people, you know, read about or hear about uh, every week about the amount of time kids, even very young kids or toddlers, spend in front of screens. The main, this is just my opinion, but the main problem with screens is that they substitute for something else. Yes. Um, uh, So in other words, it's not that three hours in front of the screen is necessarily going to rot their brain, but three hours in front of the screen means they're not playing Legos for an hour because so it it replaces that. And would an hour of playing Legos be better? Oh, absolutely. Of course it would. Um, And one reason, and let's be specific about why it's because that kind of play is less structured. Now you can buy a a, you know a building block set, and there's a picture of what you're supposed to build, and you can follow the instructions. But even in doing that, and I did this you know with my boys uh, incessantly, uh, uh, both Ben and Dave you know uh, uh, would sit there with Dad, and we'd look at the pictures. And the cool thing about the instructions is there's no words, so you have to you know look spatially at the pictures, and then try to duplicate it with your hands and the building blocks. There's a lot of there's a lot of good thinking going on with that, but the. Kind of totally unstructured play with building blocks is to just build stuff and not try to make it look like the cover of the box.
0: So, the, what does for, yeah, what, go ahead. What, what does the unstructured play do that's different than the structured play?
1: Well, structured play is good. What does it do? Let's start with that. What it does is teach you to follow rules. Sure it teaches you you know when you color it within the lines, it means that there's there's a specific right or wrong way to do it, and the dog's supposed to look like a dog um, and uh, uh, I want you know kids to play regulation soccer from time to time or other similar games basketball or you know whatever they want because um, uh, you have to follow rules and there's an umpire and there's consequences if you cheat or if you you know step out of bounds and that's really good for um uh <laughs> Here's another fancy party term, impressing your non-neurologist friends, uh, executive functioning. That's the front part of the brain, the, the prefrontal cortex. Doesn't that sound sexy? Um, the prefrontal <laughs> cortex is where our kids are developing uh, uh, impulse control and the ability you know, to, to follow rules and, and be organized, et cetera. By the way, very important to know, Drum roll here, this part of a young person's brain is still developing in their 20s. So that's why you know you don't just worry about the toddlers or elementary school. This is the age of of staff, for example, who work with young. Absolutely, this is something that they're all all working on, as you well know. So structured play is. Because it it forces you to, you know, to to look at these boundaries and drive your car in the lanes. You don't want people creative uh, driving out there. At least uh, I don't. I prefer they not. Okay. Now, unstructured play um, uh, adds other things. And frankly, it's a longer list of things. So you do want some structured play, but unstructured play uh, adds, uh, you get more benefits. Uh, uh, It's that, but wait, there's more, um, and there's more, and there's more, and there's more. Unstructured play uh, starts with imagination and creativity. So, for example, if you just, with a young child, put a bunch of stuff on the floor and say, let's play. Um, A lot of kids, as they're older, if they didn't have that, will look at you and play what? And then they freak out. They don't know how to do it, Mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, if they've grown up at a young age, and it's never, 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 this is important, capital letters here, it's never too late to teach somebody how to do this, and in fact, adults will sometimes take creative improv theater classes um, in order to help them do this, and they may be 25, 30, 40 years old, so it's never too late. The brain learns how to do this, but when our children are young, it's really important to make up games. One of my favorite things to do, and in fact, you may have heard me say this at conferences, is that when you have staff working with kids or teachers working with kids, anybody, um, uh, one of the ways to get them used to doing this is to create a bunch of uh, props, uh, just randomly collect a bunch of physical objects, and then say, get two partners, please, and uh, make a game out of it. And that stretches creative muscles. They're on the, they tend to be on the right side of our two-sided brain. And it's very important to, that, to take something that already exists and make something new. Um, uh, and so you get creativity out of that, too. Uh, to give a very important interruption here, it's really sad that people look at play as, you know, uh, some people. And they look at it as just fun stuff um, and not really the serious stuff. You know, I need my kids to read. Right. Um, uh, well, <laughs> um, uh, uh, imp- uh, I can recommend a, a book to, uh, to people, A Whole New Mind, uh, by Daniel Pink. And mm-hmm. his thesis in the book um, uh, is that uh, in the future, employers are looking for people with really developed right side brains because computers can do so much more of the left side organizing and, and, and more uh, literal kinds of things. We want our kids to grow up being able to make new things things out of old things, because that's something, to put it blunt, my way to say it is because computers can't do that. Right. Um, uh, and so we want our kids to uh, make up play and we want them to pretend and we want them to find a new use for a field hockey stick and a new use for uh, all the equipment. In fact, can I tell a quick story on myself? Um, when I was... I think I almost got fired because at a very young age, I really believed in imaginative play and believing it was superior over the structured stuff. Although some of that, as I've said, is, is important and valuable. Yeah. Um, so I would have our kids play soccer, um, uh, my kids in my group, uh, but with no ball. <laughs> so, um, so we would run, so it was an imaginary invisible ball and they'd run and they'd scream and, you know, everyone scored, even the worst kids scored, you know, five times The most bewildered person was the goalie because, you know, they were going to need some mental
0: I can imagine a camp director shooting. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, you know, the the, the the most the most overwhelming part of that was the ball would be kicked out, the invisible ball, and they'd say it's out. And somebody would take it back in as if, you know, they could actually see it. So the assistant director of this camp um, uh, came to me and said, uh, Michael, can I talk to you for a moment? I said, yes. And he said, uh, the boss would like you to make more use of the actual equipment, <laughs> which was his actual way of saying, knock it off. We spent all this money on athletic equipment. You're scaring the parents. Their kids are running around. I'm playing invisible, but I was very proud of that. And again, we played with the real ball too, but the ability to imagine it and negotiate and solve problems, you know, and, and just in your imagination, that that's extremely important too.
0: Well, and, and that's One of the great things I think about camp is that it, it provides an opportunity and a space to really enjoy that unstructured, creative, imaginative. Yes. We, yes. We time yes. Doing that and what, uh, Chris Thurber calls the other world. It's not the real world because it's they're both real. Um, but how can we start doing that more in the other world, in the world that's not a part of camp?
1: What you do is uh, realize you can do, uh, wear different kinds of hats. Mm-hmm. You can provide structure and say, let's play this. I know how to do this. Would you like to play this with me? And you explain how to, how it's done. Um, You can uh, take a couple steps back and say, I'd like to play this with you and uh, play it with them and be engaged, but it's still kind of the rules are determined uh, by something else, just like reading a story. To a young child you read the story that 's in the book a third level is you step back even farther um, and you guide and you say what could we do with this and you start asking questions that allows the child to have decisions and choices about it what do you want to build what do you want to play um, uh, you know how long do you want each round to be and you give them more decision uh, decisions to make because that of course stretches the muscle of decision making and, and, and making choices um, uh, and then um, you can, you know, and there's many other levels of involvement as well, but you can just back off and just uh, observe them uh, or just play with them and not any guidance at all. And uh, that's why my heart sings when I'm at a local playground and I see parents on the playground with their kids. You know, you, you know as well as, you know, yeah. your listeners, uh, that's a rare thing to see. They're usually sitting and they're supervising from a distance. They may be on their phone, often on their phone, and they look up because they're good parents and they want to be sure their children are safe. But how many parents do you know are playing t- tag, uh, or hide and seek on the playground. That's why at the best camps, what we're training them to do is to engage with the kids. So I'm very blunt and very specific about this. As you know, I, if your kids are playing tag, where should you be standing? And the answer is not in the side rooting for them and, and cheering for them, but you should be it and you should be chased and you should be there because kids really benefit from having this older positive role model actually uh, showing how to play. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, When a kid falls down and uh, they're on the other team, you can reach down and pick them up. And when a kid gets a shot and uh, uh, off on you in soccer, you can compliment the other team and say, that was a good shot. This teaches people sportsmanship and, and how to be respectful others, even if you're trying to beat them. And so our presence there with the kids shows them how to play and um, shows uh, how to demonstrate the behaviors that uh, make up these great qualities that we're looking for.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have so many memories of watching our, our counselors play with the kids and seeing the initial joy on the counselor's face, one, just because they wanted to play. And we said, please play. And they're, oh, great, I can't wait. And then to see it morph to the Wait a second, I'm playing with these kids, and it's so much more rewarding because they're starting to kind of see that the kids are watching them play. Um, And they're doing it in all the right ways. They're doing it with the kids and for the kids. Mm -hmm. It really is such a magical moment when that connection is made for the 19 to 22-year-old young man or woman.
1: It's motivating for them to see people play because if the older person thinks it's cool, then I'll think it's cool. Uh, if they're having fun, then you know, I, 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 I will uh, give it a try. Uh, if they're trying it, then I'll try it because they develop this, this relationship with them. Uh, another thing you can do, I'm, I'm also known for my dabbling hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dabbling hour is something I recommend to all programs, uh, including schools, that there should be a certain defined uh, time every week Um, uh, I call it the dabbling hour. It doesn't have to be an hour, but you can do anything you want. And, you know, one of the beauty of camps is that there's, you know, a thousand different choices you can have of things to do that would be fun or interesting. Um, but there's one rule in my dabbling hour, which is you can't do anything that you're good at. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: okay, so if you're a tennis guy or an guy, I was, I was a tar person because it was easier for me to compete against myself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I did archery and, and things like that. Um, uh, but I can't go to archery during dabbling half hour or 45 minutes. Um, I have to go, let's say, I don't think I can draw with it. D- I got to go to art or any place else, you know, if I'm not a If I'm not a team sports person, um, I got to go to baseball. I got to go to soccer. Um, And counselors are there, too, and the same rule is for the adult you know the, the 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 varsity star in the soccer uh can't be there at soccer they got to go paint a picture and mm-hmm. the whole thing is to laugh about the fact that <laughs> it's not very good i tell staff you know there are people like for example einstein one of the great you know the, the brains of all times who would dabble uh, in playing violin not because mm-hmm. he was a brilliant violinist but that was great for the development not only of his, ba- his brain but his spirit Made him feel good to do it, even though he wasn't an expert at it. Churchill, one of the great brains, um, uh, 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 painted mm-hmm. uh, and was pretty good at it. But, you know, I don't think anyone ever called him a master painter. But, he, you know, it, these people who we look up to with great brains, they knew how to dabble in things without having to be the, the, the best in the world at it. And I wish, you know, children are so afraid now to try new things, Cole. They're afraid to do anything where they won't get an A. There's all this pressure on so many of them, and um, uh, camp, for example, <laughs> one of my thousand reasons why every child should have experience is because you can go and there's no grades, right. um, uh, you can just go and you take, I mean, I remember taking courses in college at university, um, pass fail, that's one of the great luxuries of life is to just be able to take a course and learn from it or play something and not have to worry about whether you get a trophy or whether you're any good. You just enjoy it and maybe get a little better and you have fun with other people who are doing the same thing.
0: Well, it's interesting going back to your original point that we had to become more specific on our expectations and our communication. You know, when you get to camp, I think it's very specifically laid out that you're here to be a good person and have a good time let's go.
1: Yeah. And would you say that again? Exactly the same way you did I want everyone to hear it and underline it. I'm going to put you on the spot
0: here. (laughs) Say it it the same thing. Go ahead. Uh, Your expectation when you get to camp is to be a good person and have a good time.
1: Yeah. The order in which you put that is the reason that you've got a great camp. (laughs) Because one of the the things that that is my mission to explain to people that fun is very important. That's the good time that you mentioned second. Right. The really important thing is how we use this fun, incredibly fun, and adventurous and exciting atmosphere um, uh, to learn how to be good. In other words, yeah. by good we mean to have the qualities that will make us happy and and help us be uh, successful and achieving whatever goals we. The, the problem, and this is the reason I I, I wrote the book, is that we kids be nice, or show some respect, Buster. Or Cole, you've got to get more responsible. Or uh, you can be creative, just give it a try. (laughs) Using those qualities, it's like saying Cole, levitate. Right. You know, you don't know how to do it. That's why it goes back to magic. It's it's like it's a magic trick. It's like I'm going to say a spell, and you're going to learn to listen. Um, uh, or you know, a parents in the grocery store with their kid, and they, uh, they they say, "Calm down," as you know, and they say it in a really loud voice while right. yes. you know, uh, exposing their armpit, armpits, you know, waving their 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 arms around, um, thereby showing how not to be calm God, um, right. by demanding that kids uh, be better and be good and be on. You know, when you're at grand you better be good. That's too general. So my, my mission in life is to help people identify the things we really want them to be. And this part's easy. We want them to be respectful and responsible and, and, and confident in and those things. And then my job is to help them figure out what are the things that people who have those qualities do or say. And I call them sedus. S-A-Y slash D-O apostrophe S. say So saydu is what people do to demonstrate they have the quality. And when you can do that, and you'd think that's easy, but it's not. It's not. It takes some practice. I've got hundreds of examples of exactly what the sedus are for all of the qualities. Um, uh, uh, that's why, you know, I was upset at myself for taking a long time to, to finally write that book, because... It's very useful for people to have, right in front of them, this is what I mean when I say be respectful. This is what I mean when I say be responsible, because these are things that responsible people do. And when you know what those things, those specific behaviors are, it's much easier to model them and to identify them, and then to respond to them with specific communication. So for example, if you follow me around, it's, I may say good job and way to go, but it's far, it's far more likely if i I'm on my best game to use the technique that I call laser beam. And the laser beam technique is to be very specific. So what you do with the same smile and warm face is you say, Cole, you tried that three times. Do you know the big word for that? That's persistent. Persistent. You're persistent or uh, uh, you keep doing that over and over again. You, you know, we got some persistence going on here. This is how our kids learn what persistence means. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying to them, don't be a quitter, you know, tomorrow, or instead of saying you need to show some persistence or you need to show some, you know, the current popular word is grit. What we've done is to help define for them with actual real life examples what it means to act persistence. So a persistent person says, I'm going to try it again. Persistent person says, can you help me? I want to get this. And if, if we can flag those moments, that's how they learn how to get this stuff. But it doesn't happen by saying to them, you know, be nice. What does a nice person actually do? A nice person, for example, says, how are you feeling today? A nice person says, you know, what can I do for you? Can I help you? Uh, a nice person says, I'm sorry, it was my- Mm -hmm. Um, uh, um, uh, A nice person pays compliments to others. When we know what those things are, then those behaviors, those choices are the things we can uh, at home, camp, at school uh, actually practice for our kids. Um, if I can say one more thing about that, in the workshop that I do that's based on this, I put up on the screen pictures I've taken all over uh, U.S. and Canada of pictures uh, that will be very familiar to our, our friends who are listening here. You know, the um, uh, signs that are in a school that say uh, kind or respect or responsibility um, or honesty or uh, et cetera. Uh, these signs um, uh, show the kind of qualities we want to build. But, we, you know, if I ran which, you know, you shouldn't be nervous. I've never been invited to do that. But if I ruled the world, instead of those signs, it would say something like, nice people, say this. Show respect, this is what you do. At a camp a few years ago, I saw they had, and this was very well intended, but they had um, napkin holders at each table, and they had a little insert where you could put a little card in there, a little message, which is wonderful. And they bless them for doing this, but it says, have you shown kindness today or something like that, but it doesn't say how to do it. Right. So what we want to do is to be talking and modeling all the time of, this is what nice people do. This is what friends do. This is what, um, uh, um, uh, 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 kind people do. And that's how kids learn how to be more kind to their brother or more kind to themselves, because now they know the actual behaviors that demonstrate those qualities.
0: Well, and it's, it's something that we all need to do. And, and like all the other books I've got it's from you, it's fantastic. The Growing Great Qualities in Kids. It's, it really should be something that anybody that works with children, and, and frankly, Anybody who works with anybody else, because it's not just kids that we have to grow great qual- qualities. And like you said, we, we have plastic brains. We can continue to grow these qualities ourselves as adults.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you for noticing that. In fact, can I, can I? I'm getting ready to wrap up, but an astonishing coincidence occurred this morning. That's about what you just said about it's not just for kids. Can I tell you? Please. Okay, so I'm having breakfast, my usual breakfast of oatmeal, and I put in a tablespoon of peanut butter in there every day, low sugar, <laughs> um, uh, because my friends at the Strong River Camp in uh, Mississippi that really understand play, let me interrupt my story by saying at that camp, for example, um, uh, there's no, no one's allowed to wear a watch, and in the afternoon, there is no schedule, they, or excuse me, in the morning, they get together and, with staff, they just play, and they just you know, make up oh, what they good. want to do, and there's other camps that do that, but, but um, this is an example. Of you know why camp can be so powerful to give kids an opportunity to, to work with others to just you know structure their own time and to and to uh, uh, enjoy it anyway. So I'm, I'm having my, my oatmeal and I read the paper this morning knowing I was going to talk to you today. And there in the New York Times is an article. And you know I made a note and I want to give, I want to give these people credit. It's the Garment District Alliance. Okay. Their president's name is what's her name Barbara. Barbara Blair, don't know her, way to go, Barbara. Here's what they did. They put into midtown Manhattan about a dozen seesaws in the <laughs> middle of the street or in some park or something. These are giant seesaws called, you should see the picture. It's in the New York Times today, but they're, they're like 12 feet or 20 feet or whatever, and they light up and they're music. When they go up and down, but these are giant seesaws that light up, right? And they just put them out there as, a, as like a, a, an artistic installation. Oh, awesome. um, and so, and so the, the quote, the, the, the quote in this article written by uh, Aaron Randall. Way to go, Aaron! Um, uh, another person I don't know, but wish I did. Uh, uh, he said um, he, he quoted a passerby as saying, "You know, usually when they're screaming in mid-Manhattan, you know that's <laughs> that's, that's not a good sign. That's <laughs> typical New York." But the adults, it was all. All adults on the seesaws and they were screaming and yelping and you know, the quotes of course they gave to the reporter. Was it so fun to play? And this brings me back to my childhood, and this connects me to my inner child. And um, uh, that's exactly what you were saying, which is that um, uh, it's not only important to be specific in our communication with adults. I mean, bosses, like when I do management super, um, supervision sessions, I tell them it's okay to say, Cole, good job. But we be much better to say, Cole, you made a list of what needs to be done and the order in which needs to be done. You've really got this project organized. Way to go. That That's a credible compliment because the more specific you are, the more people believe that you do really think it's good. Um, uh, and then with regard to play, um, it's also about adults because um, uh, this article pointed out how unfortunately we don't play as much or at all when we're adults, certainly not unstructured play. You know, maybe we have a, a sports partner to go and do something with or watch sports on the TV with friends, but that's different than just making things up and uh, that's very important for our our adult brains and our, our, you know, the the way we feel about ourselves as well. It releases great chemicals in our brain and um, is something that I wish we could encourage more. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could get for one week of your summer adults just to come to camp? Wouldn't that be wonderful? And there are some places that pull that off, you know, retreat centers and things like that. But they always report this was the best week of my year.
0: Well, and they can, because they can just go to camp and dabble like you said.
1: Right. Yeah. They can dabble and they can have fun and they don't, you know, they, they can just enjoy themselves. And practice, uh, making relationships with people who they don't know all, you know, those are all muscles. So, you know, we t- <laughs> to teach kids to make friends, There's skills to make friends. Uh, like for example, asking mm-hmm. people questions about themselves is one of the maybe top three most important thing to teach kids to do. Mm-hmm. That's how you make friends by showing you're interested in another person and that you value what they're going to say and listen to what they say and ask them another question. You know, they, one kid tells another, well, I have a cat. Tell me about the cat. You know, what's the name of the cat? Well, it's Aaron. How come you named it Aaron? <laughs> you can teach little kids to do this because they're naturally, you know, curious. Mm-hmm. We need to show them this is a wonderful thing that they can uh, do. Um, uh, and uh, it'll help them make friends. And uh, the, the play is a great place to develop those kind of muscles in building relationships while you're, uh, my goodness, while you're having the, the most fun of your life.
0: I love it. Uh, well, Michael Brandwine, thank you so much. I, I, I love listening to you and, and talking with you and, and so appreciate you continuing to be generous with your time. Um, it's my help. pleasure
1: this is know. really important for people you know in this very serious life and very you know uh, uh, surrounded by stress it's very important to know that uh, these are important things to do for ourselves and especially for our children. I appreciate that you divided you know you decided to, to devote a program to it um, uh, bless you for that that's a really important uh, uh subject for people to uh, learn and to think more about.
0: Couldn't agree more. Well, Michael, Brian thank you so much for spending some time around the campfire with me as we douse the fire here and get back to our, our real, or the other world that we work with. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your spring and, and a wonderful summer and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks again. Go
1: out and play now.
0: <laughs> that was just like going to one of his talks at one of the conferences. Full of energy, great stories and a ton of useful information and ideas. Every time our campers get off the bus, the excitement in the air is palpable. You can see it. You can feel it. You can see on the faces exactly what the kids are thinking, that I can't wait to get to camp. This is the same throughout the country and throughout almost all the camps. Play happens in the bunks. It happens on the way to lunch, on the fields, in the lake, around the craft tables, and under the stars. For those short, magical periods of time, it's all about play and playing with others. The important byproducts of that play are legion. You've got improved social-emotional control, increases in leadership, patience, and empathy. Our kids get increased connections in their brains, more confidence, and greater independence. In other words, their growth is supercharged in all the right ways. It's amazing to me how science is finally catching up to what summer camp people have known all along, that play brightens the future of each person who enjoys it. And as Michael and I mentioned at the end, it's not just for the kids, but for us fossils as well. Thinking about the moments when you're truly alive and engaged, I bet you were doing something playful. So the question to me is, how can we insert more playfulness in our homes, in our classrooms, and on the fields of play? As Dr. Kelly, my bride, loves to say, we've got to add a little glitter to things. Are you going to make tonight's dinner a picnic? How about waking up to a playful pillow fight? Maybe take a break from the books and watch the stars or build a fire and make a s'more. You may have to plan it, sure, but that doesn't diminish the power or importance of play. Just make sure that you get everybody involved as, as much as you possibly can. It'll connect you all in a deeper and lasting way. Well, that's enough for tonight. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you found this or other podcasts useful, I hope you'll leave a rating or a review on whichever podcast service you're using. And I hope you'll share this podcast with a friend. Our Campfire Circle is big enough for everyone. Until we speak again, do good and be good. Thanks again to our friends at SCOPE for sponsoring the Campfire Conversation podcast. SCOPE stands for Summer Camp Opportunities Promote Education. They provide children from underserved communities with life-changing opportunities through the experience of summer camp. Scope campers benefit from a positive, safe, and healthy environment led by excellent role models who give them the chance to develop their full potential. We both believe that summer camp reinforces what children learn in school and enhances overall academic learning. If you would like to help give some wonderful children a life-changing experience, I hope you'll join me in supporting Scope. You can find them online at scopeusa.org and on social media at supportscope.